7.9 billion souls chose to be here at the tipping point. I teach mathematics as a language of the universe now. We live in a matrix of mind. We are in a time of panic. Some may say a contract written long ago and far away as to why you chose to be here on planet Earth during this very pivotal time in humanity. History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. To think about what you go through and the sense of desecration of the sacred and nature that we have done as human beings, it doesn't make any sense, and yet you chose to be here. If we change our perception of our experience, we absolutely change the world around us. The art of transmutation is not discarding your fear. No, no. It's to find the thing on the opposite pole. Don't be afraid of being afraid. Just face the fear and say, I'm okay with it. Thank you for coming to help me evolve. And we don't just do this work for ourselves. We do this work for our children and our children's children, seven generations back and seven generations forward. When someone is truly awakened to the reality of their divinity and their co-creation, that is revolution. And we will all go. We may not get to the promised land ourselves, but we keep on walking in the conviction that our children or their children might. If we had to have a map to get to the more beautiful world, it would be impossible. Now let us try the impossible. You stepped into a particle state so you could feel and we're gonna go on a big journey. Holy moly! Let's fucking go! This is epic! The following never before released footage was from one of the great experiments of 2022, where we brought together the greatest visionaries, minds, speakers, thinkers, and experiential philosophers to come together to figure out what does this more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, coined by Charles Eisenstein, who is one of the speakers at the event. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What are the guiding principles? And that was the theme of this grand experiment. So if you stick around to listen to all of these compilations that include Matthias Stefano, Emily Fletcher, Blue, myself, the Fit for Service coaches, Robert Edward Grant, Zach Bush, Jamie Wheel. If you listen to this compilation, you'll get to start to understand what this more beautiful world might look like, feel like, smell like, what it might feel to be a part of it. And it's our intention that this video will give a taste of what all of those who attended this grand experiment felt in their own bodies so that you can get an idea and help to share and transmit this energy so that we can bring this future vision into manifestation. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Bond Charge. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably understand the benefits of sauna and red light therapy. But not all of us are able to acquire a red light sauna and put it in our garage or put it in our house. So one of the technologies that can be used is a sauna blanket and Bond Charge makes the best version of these sauna blankets that I've ever encountered. So instead of having to go into a sauna, you get the heat and the red light therapy in blanket form. So you can make a little nest, you can put on your Bond Charge sauna blanket and start to experience the benefits of the heat and the sweat and the red light therapy. So this is an incredible solution to get into one of these restorative practices that is really necessary for our fast-paced lifestyle, a lifestyle that requires us 
dropping into these deeper healing modalities. So I really encourage you guys to check out all of Bond Charge's products, but especially the sauna blanket. So if you go to bondcharge.com, B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com slash AMP, you can use the coupon code AMP to save 15%. That's bondcharge.com slash AMP, coupon code AMP to save 15%, which equates to $140 off your very own sauna blanket. Check it out. And if you're still on the fence, recognize that Bond Charge ships worldwide, has an easy return and exchange policy, a 12-month warranty, and all of their red light devices come in small, portable options. It's a great solution. So check it out, bondcharge.com amp. Next up, we have Helix Sleep. And I just want to let you guys know that Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for all the listeners. So for those of you who are already convinced that Helix is the shit, make sure you take advantage of this offer. Go to helixsleep.com amp. Now, if you're not familiar with Helix because you haven't heard me talk about it, of course, one of their flagships is the mattress. They have an incredible mattress that's free of all of those toxic chemicals that you smell when you get a mattress from one of those shops that's in one of the outdoor malls, strip malls somewhere. That's not the way, y'all. The way is you get these mattresses delivered to your house risk-free. There's 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, mattress for big and tall sleepers, mattresses made for kids. They have a whole lineup and a whole bunch of associated different sleep accoutrement. They even have a sleep quiz that'll help you find out your perfect mattress in under two minutes. They will ship you your mattress straight to your door free of charge, so you don't have to worry about a bunch of shipping fees. There's a 100-night risk-free trial. Like, obviously, if you didn't believe in your product, you wouldn't give a 100-night risk-free trial, and they should believe in their product. Their product's great. We have Helix mattresses all over everywhere that we sleep because why well they're the best and sleep obviously if you've read my book own the day own your life you understand that that's such an important quality of our entire life and helix can help support that they have a 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and of course once again 100 nights risk-free free shipping it's one of the reasons why it's been picked the number one mattress by gq wired magazine and it's recommended by all kinds of fancy people, but you can just take my word for it. It's a dope mattress. So once again, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for the listeners. Go to helixsleep.com amp to take advantage of the offer. Once again, helixsleep.com amp. Next up, we have Four Visions Market. And Four Visions Market is kind of my go-to place for a lot of shamanic tools. It supports over 30 different indigenous artists and their families through more than fair trade purchase of their spiritual tools and art. They got high quality, made-in-prayer medicines. It's a bridge to over 15 Amazonian tribes that are sharing their traditions and really their magic and medicine. 50% of the proceeds are going to go directly to the tribes, artisans, and healers. And on top of that, Four Visions Market donates 10% of their profits to their partner nonprofit, Movement for Amazonian Growth in Indigenous Cultures. They call it the Magic Fund and other different Amazonian operations with missions that are aligned with their values. 
This year, Four Visions Market, they're spearheading a native plant reforestation and seed preservation project in the Colombian Amazon, as well as a bunch of different support for the Putumayo region and the hundreds of indigenous people there. The tools from the Four Visions Markets, they're all handcrafted if you're talking about caripes or tepes. And all of the different botanicals, they're wild harvested, again, in sacred prayer and the proper way. And you're really receiving, you know, genuine medicinal tools from these incredible traditions that have deeply impacted my life. So some of the products, they include, they have an Ambi Sachayage microdose tincture, ceremonial grade cacaos, Amazonian king nettle, melipona honey eye drops for eye health, nausea oil for nasal support. Achilcuagüe healing spray, and of course, their hape, which I absolutely love. So if you're interested in any of these goodies, check out fourvisionsmarket.com, F-O-U-R, visionsmarket.com, and use the code AMP, AMP, for 15% off your very first order. What an amazing opportunity is to be here together with you. The moment I came in, I felt the frequency was so high. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, if there were any one period in time one would desire to be born in, is it not the age of revolution? When old and new stand side by side and admit of being compared, when the energies of all men are searched by fear and by hope, and when the historic glories of the old can be compensated by the rich possibilities of the new era. This time, like all times, is a very good one if we but know what to do with it. Knowing what to do with the time you're in. We all live in this moment where we can easily fall into this context of constantly judging and placing conditions on the time and the experience that we have. How many of you felt over the last couple of years like, whoa, where did we take this turn into like dystopian reality? All of us have experienced this. And it's really easy as well to start blaming others. It is our natural tendency when something goes wrong to immediately want to place blame as a result of our feeling shame. This is how we build our personas. We start our lives out in this moment of separation. We get separated from our mothers. And immediately we try to figure out what will make us feel happy and prideful versus what things that we might do that actually bring us shame. And then we pass that shame on to other parties. This is a game we've lived for thousands and thousands of years. But we now live in an age of revolution. But that revolution is not a revolution that's going to happen just outside of us. In fact, that revolution will only happen from within. This is a revolution when we start to realize that we are the creators of our experience. No one else is responsible for the experience that we have, and we chose all of it. Let that sink in. Every single experience that we each and every one of us have, we chose. We are empowered. We are absolutely co-creators of this experience that we have every day. And guess what? It's not a universe. It's a you inverse. What we experience in the world around us is actually what is reflected from the inside of us outwards. The things that we judge are the things that we continue to attract until we no longer judge the things that we have attracted. When someone says, yo, I'm woke but it's because I'm 
a defender of the oppressed. They feel so strongly because they've started to wake up to this notion, but they haven't yet realized that they are the creator. So what do they do? They pass blame. They cast judgment. And in so doing, they only create more of the thing they judged. Now, I used to be, now, please don't cast blame or judgment, but I used to be a pharmaceutical CEO. I feel like I'm in an AA thing, right? It's like, I was a pharma CEO. This must be a time of change when I can be standing on this stage. You often cannot see how the dots in your life connect until you see them in the retrospect. And then somehow, when you look at it in the retrospect, you see a beautiful tapestry, a mosaic, that each part of that mosaic was each step that you had taken in your life's journey. That the entire time the universe was happening for you, you thought it was happening to you. It's all in how we perceive it. This guy comes up to me and, and he says to me, um, I brought you some photographs. So I'm like, why, why would you? I'm just here to get my fingerprints, right? And he's like, I brought you photographs. He goes, this is just my day job. He hands me 10 photographs. And it's almost like a tarot reading. He's like, pick the one that you recognize. So I picked the one that I felt like I recognized. It was a picture of Franklin Delano Roosevelt giving a stump speech in Boston in 1942. I had not seen the picture before, but somehow it resonated. I said, I don't know why, but I feel like I've seen this before. And he says, because you were there. So I'm like, okay. Not sure how to take that. I went back to my desk at Harvard Business School, and I'm listening to Francis Fry, one of the top production operation management professors at HBS. And she's like this super militant lesbian woman who's awesome, love her to death, but she does not tolerate anyone not listening to her in the classroom. And because I'd been her student, she walked over to me and she's like, Robert, what are you doing? Well, I had opened my notebook. Not 10 minutes after I met with this guy to get my fingerprints taken. And I started writing out math equations and physics equations. In fact, I was already probably 30 pages into it by the time she noticed and she said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. So she called me out. Those books now, I just gave one of those books that I've now published because somehow seeing that photograph led to a spark in me of remembrance. And now I've published several papers in mathematics that cover physics, spirality of galaxies, all kinds of stuff. I teach mathematics as a language of the universe now. And I now know why I was given that photograph. But we think that we're going through life in this happenstance way and that life just happens to us. Life happens to us and sometimes it sucks. We all go through suffering and difficulty and the first tendency we have is we want to blame somebody else for it. Somebody did something to me. Is that an empowered way to think? If we chose every experience that we have and we absolutely knew it, how would we look at the difficult circumstances we face in life? Would we maybe see them a little bit differently? Would we maybe start asking ourselves the question, why did I want to learn this experience? Destiny. Maybe destiny is just the free will of the higher self. Maybe destiny is just the free will of the higher self. 
Everything is happening for you. This is about ascension. We live in the age of revolution, and that revolution is happening within each and every one of our hearts. It's about achieving a different way of looking at the world. If we change our perception of our experience, we absolutely change the world around us. If you don't like what you see, change how you see it. Look within. Ask why you're given this opportunity to learn. We live in a matrix of mind. You chose. We're all co-creators in this. I was asking myself the question not long ago, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? And on the radio, right at that moment, I had this incredible synchronicity because right when I was thinking that question, the song by Foreigner was on the radio. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. That's why we're here. What if the game was really to learn how to fall in love with this place? <laughs> to love it as it is. A divine creation that you created. That you wanted to experience. That we can learn to love everyone and accept them, replacing fear in our lives with gratitude for every single moment that we experience and savoring it in, drinking life with the majesty that we are intended as divine creators to experience. We're here for love. Now, when we have this really high frequency of love, and you walk in this room and you just feel this frequency of love and acceptance, what's the thing that kills it? What's the big, great vibe killer of a love frequency? Fear and judgment. Dun, dun, dun. When someone is truly awakened to the reality of their divinity and their co-creation, that is revolutionary. That is being the change that you want to see in the world. We complicate the world so much. We want to make it so much more difficult to understand somehow, some way. It's through a reductionistic way of thinking and looking at the world that we face all the challenges of the world. We want to assign things to it. We want to categorize it. We want to complain about it. We want to bitch and kvitch about it. But only in doing so will you experience the exact same result. And guess what? Doing things the same way and expecting a different result is the definition of what? Insanity. And we do live in an insane world that we can love. You can love every single experience. Let's not complicate the world. I'm really grateful to step into this space with all of you because we're all together, freaking finally. We are together at the tipping point of all things. At the tipping point of all things, it's such an interesting moment to choose. And y'all chose to be here, which is a pretty radical thing to think about what you go through in a week and the heartbreaks you might feel and the separation you might sense and the sense of disconnect you might fight against 
and the horror you give witness to at this time and the sense of desecration of the sacred and nature that we have done as human beings. It doesn't make any sense, and yet you chose to be here. So I have to remind myself all the time when I get a little overwhelmed with the condition of humanity and the condition of the nature in which we live, I can get overwhelmed and then remember we chose, 7.9 billion souls chose to be here at the tipping point of all things. And so we throw away this moment if we look to a future that is already here. We are going to work today to realize that the transformation that we all want has already occurred, but we have a limited experience in the neurology of humans and that we have such limited perception that we don't realize it's sitting right in front of us already. This new future that we all dream of and we're wanting has occurred and is right in front of us. And so I'm excited to have all of you in the room because so many of you are the rugged individualists who have defined a future that is against the current common paradigm. And in all of our doing, we can find ourselves 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years exhausted of doing the thing that is against the status quo to find out that all of our energies were co-opted by the status quo because they weren't doing anything. The status quo was created by a bunch of people that realized we don't have to do, every, do anything. We're simply going to hold a vision on how all of these other people can do a bunch of stuff and we can capture that energy for our own vision. And so it was a very few people that did that, far fewer than are in this room right now. And so we have an opportunity to co-create together a future that already happened and wake ourselves up to realize it's sitting right in front of us and the doers among us will realize our full purpose when we become the beers. So we're gonna shift from doing to being tonight together. And I hope it sets the vibration for these next couple of days as you hear from amazing speakers and we groove to some extraordinary tunes that will get us into a vibrational state of who we came to be. And this is our opportunity to step into the prophecy and the Pleiadian prophecy and other indigenous prophecies on this planet that said in this decade that we are in between 2017, 2027, in that decade, the genomics of our species would shift to lose the genetics of fear, guilt, and shame. <clears throat> Hell yeah. The experience of change triggers all five levels of the process of grief. And we're asking for the biggest change in human history to happen tonight. And so we're gonna go ahead and allow ourselves to process the grief preemptively, perhaps. You might not be feeling grief yet, but the changes that we're calling into action are going to let go of so many things. It's gonna lice so many constructs within your life as we achieve what we're gonna achieve here tonight. You will walk away from relationships that you thought you were due to bound to. You will walk away from families that you thought you were a bloodline with. You'll walk away from jobs that had you captured. You will walk away from your own fear, your own guilt, your own shame to realize this new future. So let go, 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 let go. Let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. Take deep breaths because in the base of your lungs you hold grief. And so we got to take a couple deep breaths and blow it out and then keep blowing, keep blowing, fold in half, keep blowing, keep blowing, keep blowing, keep blowing. Get it empty, empty. Now take a deep breath. And now you can actually exhale. Now blow it out. Blow it out, blow it out, blow it out. Get the grief out of there. Let it pour out. 
Don't hold on to the grief. It is slowing down the transformation. It is deep in the lungs. We will let go. We will be in gratitude, deep gratitude for the walk we've walked, the traumas we've held, the pain we've known, the tears we have cried. Damn, life was good for all of that. It is so good to feel. It's why we picked a finite moment, a particle state, to step into as an infinite light being. You stepped into a particle state so you could feel. Thank God for the feelings you have held in this life. Thank God for the ancestral feelings that you carry forward in your genetics. You are a sovereign being that has chosen to be here to feel. And so we honor all of it. We honor the pain, we honor the suffering, we honor the ache that is in us. It's a deep knowingness that we are not complete yet. That ache is an expression of a soul that knows completion is possible, and yet a thousand human emotions sit between you and that completion. And now we're going to consider something we never give much consideration to, is that each of you are so much more than a human body. You are a sovereign ancient light being that we too often call a soul. And the reason why it's too often that we call it a soul is because we get conditioned to the word and the word becomes the thing. And we think, oh, it's kind of an ethereal thing or you have a, a mental picture of what a soul might be. A little, maybe it's a glowing thing. Your soul is actually a sacred geometry that is extremely specific to you. Souls aren't like a bunch of little candle flames hovering above our heads. Each is a sacred geometry that holds a gravitational force equivalent to a sun. And each one has its own sacred geometry such that it would produce energy and cooperate within the constellation of other souls in a very unique fingerprint fashion. And so I want you to tune into your soul that's likely to be hovering some 10, 15 feet above our heads. So I want you to tune into your soul structure, your light being. Tune in there and see what comes forward in your mind's eye. What is the geometry that unfolds in your vision? Self-love is so impossible to generate it. I don't care how long you sit in Shavasana, that shit's not gonna happen. <laughs> Self-love is not something you can generate because love is not something that comes out of human biology. Love is the experience. It is simply an experience. It is not an emotion. It is not a thing. It is an experience. You understand the difference between a thing which is a noun and an adjective, this active force of an experience, you are experiencing beauty. When you become still, when you choose to be witness to the universe that you chose to be separate from for a moment, to become human. In choosing to be human, it means sign me up for separate perception so that I can see the beauty. And the moment you see beauty, the sunset, the moonrise, the stars arranged, the glint in the eye of another human being, the feeling of your grandmother's hands against your face, the feelings of the lips of your lover on your forehead before you sleep. 
You chose to feel, see, hear the beauty so that you would be witness to a divine state of the universe that is called God, that is called everything. Because to be a soul is to be part of everything, to be an element so elementally connected to it that you cannot see the whole or because you are the whole. And so to become human and be limited to these five finite senses and be imbued with the sixth sense within you of why you're here, who you're being. And that sixth sense is simply the tuning fork that's responding to the resonance of your sacred geometry of that unique soul floating above. The promise of the Course of Miracles and its abundance of wisdoms that it pitches out there is that there will come a moment where two human beings get to complete themselves. And the moment they complete themselves in the divine state of the marriage of the masculine and feminine within a single psyche, within a single human body, and the resonance goes from I am a soul to I am God, I am it, I am he, I am she, I am the whole, and you combine that and you realize that there is no separation from the whole, that you are the whole, at that moment, something miraculous will happen if just two people will do that. We will suddenly have a completely different experience in these five senses. Because right now, when we walk around in these egoic split minds and we look at each other and we look into each other's eyes for two minutes and you'll fall in love with whoever the hell you look at for two minutes, so watch yourself, watch yourself, be discerning. Whoever you look into the eyes of for two minutes, you will fall in love with because you are seeing the resonance of yourself. In an egoic split mind, when you look at another beautiful human being, all you can see is vibrations of yourself. And so you're looking into the mirror of a bunch of other egoic split minds. And that's the condition of humanity. Even at our best, all we're seeing is us over and over and over again. A child who's two years old or less will go on this journey where in the first few months where they start to mimic somebody waving goodbye to them or hello, they turn their hand around and they wave at themselves. And so it's a cool little thing we do in the pediatrician's clinic. We show the parents like, oh, look at this, check this out. And you wave at the kid and they turn their hand around, they wave at themselves. They don't understand that anybody would wave at anybody else but themselves because they're the center of the universe. They're still connected to the source. They haven't forgotten who they are. They are God. There's only one thing to wave at is God, hello. But sometime between that 10 months in two years, we start to lose track and we start to see ourselves separate from the others and they turn their hand away around and they start to wave goodbye to mom, understanding now that mom is separate from them. Oh, mom's over there, I'm over here. They turn their hand away and they wave goodbye. And so right now, at our best, we remember that we are the center. We are seeing ourselves and we can turn our hands around. We can say, hey, hello. We can wave back at ourselves again when we're in our highest state of love and egoic split mind. And it's beautiful. We've all had that moment of, oh my God, I am here. I am whole. I am I'm received. I am loved. And it's transient. It happens for a moment. But all that's happened at that moment is you've changed back into about eight or 10 months old where you're starting to wave at yourself again. Nobody's terribly impressed with that in the end. But it sure feels good to be like, wow, I am the center of the universe I create. The promise of the Course in Miracles gets much deeper and it takes us to the next level of possibility. It says, when one human will finally bring themselves into that state of a completion of the masculine and feminine energies and they complete the divine state of expression through that journey from pineal gland down to the pelvis, straight back up, and they express the whole, and they look at each other through eyes that are whole, 
When two people do that for the first time in human history, two humans will actually see the other person. That's what we're pushing to. Are we willing to see the other person rather than a semblance of ourselves? To do that, just two people will complete it. And the moment two people complete that and see each other, all wars will end, all sense of polarization will shift, and we'll become a completely different expression of our sacred being state. And we will become far more humane in our behavior, and maybe we live up to at least the first part of our name, homo sapien. If we do really well, we get to our full name, which is homo sapien sapien. I don't know why we repeated wisdom twice. It seems really foolish. But nonetheless, homo sapiens sapiens will happen when two people complete it. And so tonight, we're going to try to get two people to complete this process of becoming whole because it will change everything. It will change every person, and we will all go, and we will all complete the moment we find out it's possible. And so I wake up these days in a deep sense of purpose of, I want everything I do to be making space for a humanity so that just two people can pop. Just two people. Far be it for me here, who? Doesn't matter. We're gonna lift each other up and say, wow, we got a couple hundred souls in here. That's more souls than decided to start the United States of America. That's more souls than the stars. That's more more souls than decided to start colonialism as a concept, to destroy everything in the name of the divine. Divine law allowed us to do manifest destiny and crush everybody that we thought had an inferior God. That was a few people. Can we see a reality that's already here where there is no fear, guilt, and shame? There, there is a completion of the divine state of the masculine, feminine energy in every single individual. There is no other person on earth that can complete you. There's no other purchase. There's no other education threshold or milestone that you can get that is going to cause a completion to occur. There's only one completion left and you are working towards it tonight. To bring yourself into an alignment with a sacred geometry of your beingness, your soulness, that is so complete in its geometry that it has been coherently traveling space and time for eons and is here for a split moment in its completion, and in stepping into the complete state of the feminine masculine as they wrap themselves together, this is the most intimate thing you will experience in a human body. This will be the most sensual thing when you learn to embrace this possibility. Can you bring a human body into the most extreme, ecstatic state of activation that happens when the molecular level responds to a water cascade within you that has tuned itself to the completion of the masculine and feminine within a single vessel? That's sexy. That is freaking sensual. So get into yourself. Get into yourself in these next couple of nights. When we dance tonight, I don't want you to think about the way your body's moving. I want you to think about the way your soul is moving that would inspire your body to do that stuff. So let's move some souls tonight. Good to be with you at the tipping point of all things. Let's get it. This right now is an invitation 
that is going to extend throughout the entire weekend. And the invitation is to step inside the moment. Step inside the moment. That's where all of the magic is. Every time you meet somebody, you can either be outside the moment, be like, hey man, nice to meet you, blah, 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 forget your name, blah, blah, blah. Or you can be like, hello. Hello, other me. So good to see you. Amazing. Other me, you look beautiful. Throughout this whole festival, it's how many times can you say, yes, yes, to this moment, to the moment. But of course, we have to talk about the resistance to the moment. Why, why, why? Why do we stand outside of any moment? The moment is scary. Sometimes, kinda, maybe, if you have that story about the moment. Because when you step into intimacy, you're actually going to be seen because the full you is present. So the full you steps into your avatar and you're like, oh shit, they can see me. <laughs> Inside of the moment is raw. It's vulnerable, but it's where the magic is. Inside that moment, but it can be scary. It can be scary to be seen. It can be scary to be judged. It can be scary in so many ways to do it. But the antidote for fear is not to get rid of your fear. No, no, no. Everything is mapped in polarity, right? So the art of tra transmutation is not discarding your fear. No, no. It's to find the thing on the opposite pole. And that thing on the opposite pole is courage, bravery. So don't try to get rid of your fear. Fuck that. It's impossible. Don't even bother. Just apply the opposite polarity, bravery. Step on in. Here I am to that dance floor, to that song, to that moment, to that conversation, to that laughter, to whatever it is. And there's also the fear, maybe if I step in this moment, I won't be able to go over here in this moment, and I won't be able to go over here in this moment. There's gonna be a lot of fucking moments. <laughs> and you can miss every single one of them if you don't step inside each one as they appear. Because so much of our life we're spent thinking about some other moment. We could live an entire life and be like, oh, fuck, I wasn't there. You stepped inside the moment. You'll never regret stepping into a moment when you're really, really there. Because when you're in the moment, you're in touch with the numinous. You're in touch with that magic. So fuck whatever else is going on. Just find the moment that allures you, that draws you into it. You're like, this moment looks amazing. I'm gonna step in this moment and then get in there and contribute. So why don't we all practice collapsing a little bit of separation right now? Because if we can collapse separation a little bit, I mean, we gotta have it a little bit. Of course, this is my skin, my body, and there's lots of things that are mine-ish. But if we can just soften the edges a little bit, soften the edges and start to see self in another person, that actually starts to build this cohesion. It starts to build this group cohesion, this thing that is a baby of all of our energies co-mingling. All of us are just radiating a particular frequency out right now. And will it be in rhythm? Will it be harmony? It feels like harmony right now. I feel a lot of harmony here. 
And so the way to do that is to step into the moment and start to collapse some of that separation. So I'm going to have you guys pair off with each other. Find somebody that you don't know. All right, all right. Now, look into the person across from you. Look into their eyes. Look at the eyes that have seen this changing world, these challenging times, felt the weight of it, felt the heaviness of it. Look at their heart. There you are. There you are. Right there, standing in front of you in another emanation, another manifestation, another form. That's you. That's you living a different life, shaped like a tree that is bent to the sun, that is moved and rustled in the wind, that has been nourished by different waters, but the same tree from a different place and see sameness and celebrate the difference. This is the paradox of the beauty and the majesty of the life that we have before us. Sameness and difference. And the ability, because we're different and because we're separate, to interact and to mingle and to create something beautiful when we come together. Wow, how fucking cool. The one became many, and then the many get to fucking hang out. Holy shit. How cool. Imagine if you could do that. If you were like, I want to play with myself. Guess what? You just did it. Congratulations. Welcome to Arcadia. You did it. This is the frequency of Arcadia. This is the vibration of Arcadia. Right? It's the claim that I am here, and you are here, and we are here. And in that frequency, all things are possible. New things are possible. And this is what it means to be Arcadian. It's not about what you wear, or what you do, or where you're at. No, it's this idea, this more beautiful idea, to borrow our friend Charles' beautiful language, our more beautiful idea that's beyond separation where you get to see the divine as you, as you, as you, as you, as you, as everything. And in that, you'll hold a new frequency. And that's what's been alluded to, El Dorado, the kingdom. Arcadia, Arcadia. Close your eyes and send all of your energy that's been going to all of the fancy lives and all of the magical humans and just send it in for a moment. Place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly and connect to your why. Remember the moment that you found out about Arcadia or you saw something on social media or there was a little tinkle that was like, I think I'm supposed to be there. And now within that space of awareness, place your intention, one word that condenses what you want to emanate while you are here over the next couple of days. 
What do you want to feel? What do you want to put out into the world? Because as we know, our internal world creates our external reality. So get clear with your intention. And take a deep breath in, hold it on the inhale. And any part of you that does not believe in magic, synchronicities, and the majestic nature of being human, and any part of you that is playing small, that feels unworthy, that is in comparison, we're going to exhale it through the mouth in three, two, one, sang it out. <sighs> all right, one more. Deepest breath you've taken all week. Inhaling through the nose. Hold it on the inhale, expanding the diaphragm. And all of the love that you have in your heart, we're going to exhale it into the space and marinate in it for the rest of this festival. In three, two, one. Sang it out. Ah. <sighs> There's got to be some sort of divine intervention and a correlation of a majesty that has allowed you to be here with these very, very specific humans. Some may say a contract written long ago and far away as to why you chose to be here on planet Earth during this very pivotal time in humanity. It's pretty fucking exciting to be human and to be alive right now. And there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suppression, there's a lot of trauma that is passed on from generation to generation to generation and it requires someone, one person, to actually start to look in and ask why and to create a new story. We think 60,000 thoughts a day, creating the stories in which we project a reality out into our external landscape can continue to confirm what we're thinking inside. Why don't we actually just take a moment to take a pause and ask, where was the stories even originating from? Did it even start with me? Because what were you doing when you were five years old? Singing, dancing, realizing that children are geniuses because they are still connected to the magic that lives within them. And those that actually are the ones that pioneer the direction that we're moving in are the ones that's in a child state alive that are the first ones on the dance floor, that are the ones that are not afraid to sing, even if it doesn't sound good, but to sing to liberate ourselves, to put on skits and plays and to dance around and to wear glittery clothes or whatever. Because it's the frequency of heaven on earth that we can find in the mundane moments that actually create a reality that we want to actually give to our children. And when I'm looking at all of you, I see the ones that are actually asking where did this story come from? Is it mine to keep? And how can I create a new narrative that actually is going to create a world that I want to live in and I want to see my children live in? So when I was walking around inside and everyone was dancing and I was like having a moment of weaving in between everyone, and I'm looking at these humans, adults, magical beings with love in their eyes and joy in their hearts and dancing as if nobody's watching and as if everybody's watching all at the same time. Because it's actually found recognizing that the only moment that we have for the rest of our lives is this one right here. And if I say, okay, I'm going to go all in on this dance right now, that is the very seed that creates the reality that we live into. So even if it's just the moment that you wake up and it's before you go get your coffee and you put on your favorite song and you're like, fuck it, let's go. That's your conversation with the reality you want to live in. So we don't have to be at a festival 
even though this is epic, we can literally create heaven on earth in our mundane moments. But to live a life of magic, I'm realizing actually that the miraculous is found, the big things, these festivals, something large, a big creation or achievement, these things are actually created from many, many, many small moments done with love, done with presence, done with care, done with attention. If you look at a piece of artwork like a mandala, it seems so intricate and so vast and so delicate. And when you actually zoom in, it's just a series of very simple shapes. A dot, a circle, some more dots, maybe some leaves. And eventually, over time, it becomes a piece of art, a masterpiece. So my invitation for you is for the speakers and the musicians, yes, I'm standing up on a stage. But please don't outsource your power thinking, I have something figured out that you don't. We are in this together. We are equals. We stand in a circle, not a pyramid. There is no one that has got it more figured out than you. You have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of queendom in your heart. And we're moving from a paradigm of artificial glamour into authentic beauty. Artificial glamour is like, well, if I look this certain way and it, maybe I'll be accepted from something outside of myself and maybe if I won the genetic lottery, then I'll be a successful person. But that like narrows it down. Authentic beauty is based off of how much you love. You become a beautiful person because you love all parts of yourself, the dark side of the moon, the light side of the moon. And when you start loving all parts of yourself, then of course the world becomes more beautiful because your lens gets cleaned off and then the people in front of you all of a sudden look stunning in their expression, flaws and all. So I am two of the most powerful words in the English dictionary, because it's saying to the universe with our words, our frequency, our spell casting, that's why it's called spelling, our words, I am. It is saying that it is already so in this present moment. It's not saying that it's happening in a future timeline. It is already here. So when you say in the morning, for example, I am beautiful, I am powerful, I'm strong, I am free. Every 75 trillion cells in our body start to go, well, yes, you are. <laughs> you are beautiful. You are strong. You are powerful and you're free. Let's fucking go. <laughs> I'm beautiful. I am powerful. I am strong. I am free. I don't need to be like them. I need to be like me. I love praying. I love praying and playing. It's like my two favorite things always. <laughs> so... I'd love to offer a prayer. So I invite you to close your eyes. Go back into that inner world, that internal landscape. The beautiful thing about closing our eyes is that when we close our eyes, we access the realm of infinite possibilities. There is no limit. The only limit that may happen is our imagination. So I invite you to open your hearts and open your mind. As we open up this space of a place of unconditional love and unconditional non-judgment. And anything that is not in unconditional love within this space may be transmuted back to its original form of unconditional love. An unconditional judgment meaning that we accept all parts of ourselves. Whatever it is that arises for you over the next couple of days, it is welcome here. Your uncertainty, your anger, your shame, your guilt is as welcome here and as a sacred here 
as your play and your celebration and your connection and your dancing and your singing and your love. We welcome all parts of you because when we actually allow ourselves to welcome all parts of ourselves, the shadow and all, that is where we become unfuckable. May we recognize and open ourselves up to the benevolent forces of unconditional love to flow through us so that we can truly become the frequency of heaven on earth in every moment, in every breath, recognizing that if you came here, you are a leader of truth. And we don't just do this work for ourselves, we do this work for our children and our children's children seven generations back and seven generations forward to remember what it means to be alive. Because it is the greatest gift we can ever receive. To have this breath, to have this body, to have this heart that loves the way that it does. So we're allowing ourselves to realize we are floating on a massive rock hurling through space at millions of miles an hour held into orbit by a giant ball of fire. If you don't believe in magic, I don't know what planet you're on. We are here. We are alive, connecting yourself with your heart, your beating heart, your beautiful body. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for allowing my soul to be in this body. May we remember, because Ar Arcadia is the seed of a more beautiful world our heart could ever imagine. And so it is, and it is so across all timelines, across all dimensions, across all space. I'm, I'm really nervous because of two reasons. Uh, first of all, because maybe I am the most boring person in this party. Um, <laughs> it's like bringing a librarian to to this codec. Um, <laughs> but uh, Aubrey decided to invite me. Um, so, and the, sec the second reason is because uh, the first time I came to Las Vegas, I ended up with 20 demons inside. Um, so I got a little bit nervous, <laughs> but it's, everything's good <laughs> because you are all light and vibrating very high. So <laughs> as a summary of one of the messages that I was trying to ask of why I was here is to, as always, bring a little bit of context idea of, uh, of this, because I was wondering why Arcadia? I don't know if you know where Arcadia is, the actual Arcadia, that's in Greece. The story of this place, of Arcadia, was that the most important god of Arcadia was someone that is well known and also very weird. It's the god that we all know as Pan. We are in a time of panic. We're in a time that people is panicking for anything, whatever. So, uh, because everyone is so scared, about what is going to happen in the world. Everyone is so um, annoyed with everything. Uh, I don't know, conspirations, war, everything. Everyone is panicking. So basically today the world is ruled by Pan. But Pan is very annoyed right now. And what is Pan? Pan is the animal aspect of the being. It's related to all the low chakras, which are fertility, reproduction, sexuality the roots of the planet. So it's the connection with the world. 
Pan represents the savage aspect of everyone. And we are panicking in our civilization because we lost something very important. The thing is that Pan was having so much fun and enjoying life that Christians used to say, that's not good. You should not because our savior killed himself in order to save us all. So we have to suffer. So you should not enjoy, you should not have fun because like, it's like a disrespect to the savior. So they took Pan and created the image of the demon. The demon never existed before until someone got the idea, okay? So that, that being was actually the god, the god of, of fertility, fertility, the god of dancing, music, having fun, etc. And this being Pan, he actually started to rule the planet in chaos because he was annoyed. He's not being able to enjoy, to have fun. So he was repressed during almost 2,000 years. And that's why all our lower chakras, which is the ram part, are repressed, controlled. So all the energy to create energy, to create matter, to manifest, is in here, in these chakras, down here. So we have repressed that because we have to suffer instead of enjoying of the reality. So for 2,000 years, our cells have been taught you should not enjoy, otherwise you are committing a sin. But something is changing. What is happening? That our minds are starting to get unlocked from the repression from one side and opening all the energy of Pan outside. And that's panic, chaos. What we have lived for a long time, but in this spirit is like crazy. So the two phases of Pan, whether we choose to get crazy and annoyed and with conflicts and uh, running scare around the world, or we awaken the other part, which is the feminine side, the fun, party, dancing, enjoying, which was the spirit of Arcadia 3,000 years ago. The whole data, the whole information of a new network starting to manifest in these next 2,000 years is about people having fun in their hearts, connecting a new network, a new matrix. Matrix means mother in Latin. So a new mother, which is a new planet. So we have to choose, as I said before, if all this new realization of the matrix, the new realization of our goal in this planet what the plan that our ancestors from Arturus have set from, for us. We have to choose whether we are the Arcadians that woke up Pan from a nap or if we are partying with Pan. Okay, so we have to move it in a way that goes up to the heart to expand to the hands and the hands are the manifestation. Do you know the etymology of manifestation? Manifestation comes from Latin mani, which means hands, and festation, which means 
party. Manifestation means to make a party with the hands. Yeah. The movements of that energy, when they flow up to the heart, when you move yourself, they go through the hands for manifestation. So it's the heart being manifested. So for the age of Pisces, to get together and talk about a new world and just having fun inside that place would be weird. But um, actually what we are doing, as Blue said yesterday, we are talking seven generations back and seven generations ahead with every movement of ourselves. So reminding ourselves that we have come from this ancient history telling us that we are here now to make another leap into this change of consciousness. So have fun remembering that fun is actually the movement of the creative energy inside that has been stuck for 2,000 years in your cells. Okay. I actually am done because I, he, he, said, he said to me, to come and talk, but actually my work was the weather guy, actually. <laughs> well, you, before you go though, yesterday it started raining and you opened up a portal. It's important to know that um, we are the elements. We are made with the elements. So um, sometimes we forget that we can move them because we are them. One final question for you. So if we feel in this moment in our lives, when we go back to our lives, we feel the pan inside of us turn to panic and we get upset and we get angry and we get flustered and we get aggressive. Is there a way that we can just turn that into the pan of fun and joy? And is that the alchemy that we're really being asked as Arcadians to be able to offer, is to be able to turn the panic into rapture? Yeah, well... As I said, panic, panic is something that created us. It's, it's because of panic that we exist, basically. Why? Because every cell in our body has survived a completely terrible environment because they were afraid. They were scared to die, to end the, the end of everything. So every cell, every bone, every organ in our body has, has been built because of panic, because of fear. And so we have to honor that because fear brought us here. Fear is the one that said, oh no, I can't take this path. I will change it. I will try to evolve and to change my ways in order to adapt to do something new. If it wouldn't be because of the terrible environments, we would never change. So we are just very complex groups of cells trying to survive the panic, the terrible environments. So uh, panic is something that is within us all the time. So as I said, you shouldn't avoid panic. We have to transform panic into pan, okay? The house of fun basically. So um, 
the transition from the panic to the fun, let's say, uh, would be to acknowledge each one of our fears and thank them, first of all. Thank them because they helped us to be here. Thanks to each one of our organs, thanks to each one of our fears, of our enemies, thanks to the history that brought us here. So all of that that was terrible made us what we are. So when you face that and uh, accept that, you start to transform that into a new thing. And teaching your body that having fun is not a sin anymore. That enjoying is not terrible. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, let's remember that we will, we will need always the fear. If you fear something uh, that is about to happen or whatever, it's okay. It's not that, oh, to be a spiritual, I have to be always up there. No. Um, spiritual basically means to breathe. So the cells are taking care of you to breathe, to be spiritual. Okay, so to be spiritual is not to be there, it's to breathe properly. So when you learn to breathe properly, when you are afraid of something, like taking care of how you breathe, you are actually becoming the real spiritual. You are balancing the energies of your body, taking care of yourself just with the breathing, always with the nose, in, holding, then out. And by that, you start to balance your panic towards the pan, okay? And um, so this is why it's important. Don't be afraid of being afraid, okay? Don't be afraid of being afraid. Just face the fear and say, I'm okay with it. Thank you for coming to help me evolve, okay? Yeah. And that's it. And thank you for coming, Matthias, for helping us to evolve. My brother, my friend, welcome to Arcadia, where having fun changes the world. Let's fucking go! Holy moly. I know people get on stage and they say this a lot. They're like, wow, you're so sexy, you're so beautiful. But legitimately, I have never seen a sexier group of humans. I have never, ever felt this many people in such a high level of coherence in my entire career. We're in such a good spot. This is gonna be so much fun to play tonight. So who's willing to do a little experiment tonight? Yeah? You guys willing to play full out tonight? You guys willing to get a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit weird? Yeah, you guys willing to use that pan, to use that fertility energy to manifest your wildest dreams? We are going to breathe, just like he was saying, spirit, to breathe. We're gonna use our breath to build the charge in our bodies, to actually build the life force, to plug our heads, our hearts, and our hoo-ha directly into God. And if the G word scares you, I'm gonna give you a definition for it. God, the collective consciousness of all that is. Right, we're gonna plug directly into source and we're gonna hold your wildest, most beautiful dream and then we are going to allow it to unfold. Sound good? 
Yeah. So what we're going to do tonight is something called sexual alchemy. And don't worry, this is not going to be a play party. That'll be later. That'll be the after-after party. You don't have to touch anybody. You don't have to touch yourselves. We're just going to work on the energetic level. And so if this word sexual alchemy, if the idea of building your sexual charge to manifest your dreams makes you a little bit uncomfortable, I want you to know that you are not alone, okay? Uh, as, as Aubrey said, my name is Emily Fletcher. I was born in Tallahassee, Florida, which is seven minutes from the Georgia line. And I grew up with a bunch of sweaty dudes in a church yelling at me from the pulpit, telling me what I should or should not do with my body. And I thought at a very young age, oh, no, 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 this is not it. This is not it. And then I grew up and I got on Broadway and I started singing and dancing for a living. And I became world class at learning how to make people want me. I knew how to move every inch of my body to be a showgirl, to be wanted, but I did not know want. I did not have access to my own desire. And I thought again, this is not it. And then I became a meditation teacher and I've taught tens of thousands of people how to meditate, how to manifest. And the number one challenge that people come up against, the number one thing that people say they have problems with, they say, Emily, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. Who here can relate to that? Who here is like, I just don't know what my dream is. Well, we're gonna solve that tonight. We're gonna change that tonight, okay? We're gonna do an exercise that's gonna remind you that you are worthy of your dreams, that you deserve your dreams. We're gonna open up your head, your heart, and your hoo-ha to where you're gonna realize that it's so easy, that all you have to do is actually place the order and feel good. What if it were that simple to just feel good, place the order, place the order, feel good, feel good, place the order, place the order, feel good. It really can be that simple. All right. So, just close our eyes. Feel your feet on the ground. I know we take one big breath in, a beautiful, loving breath right into your heart. And I'm going to exhale in the sound of ah. So good, so beautiful. And from this place of groundedness and coherence, keeping the eyes closed and imagining a beautiful sphere of energy around your body a beautiful protective sphere of energy around your body that allows you to feel so held, so loved, allowing love to come in, allowing your manifestations to drop in, but nothing else. And from this space, I want you to get curious. What is my wildest dream? If I had a magic wand and I could wave it over tonight, this weekend, my life, what order would I place? If it was truly as simple as placing the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant, what order would I place? If I was not afraid of my fear, as Matea said, what is my wildest dream? Really good, so taking one final inhale. This time as you exhale, just making a juicy hum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And before we start the exercise, you can open your eyes. And I want you to place one hand on your heart. And yes, one hand on your hoo-ha. And I want you to just check in with your level of charge. What's your level of life force right here, right now, before we start? With no judgment, no should, no shouldn't, no guilt, no shame. Just where is my life force? Where is my charge right now? And if you're at a two, could you breathe into your heart? Could you breathe into maybe what a three feels like? If you're at a nine, could you breathe all the way down into your root and imagine the last time you were at a 10? 
remembering that your sexual energy is the most creative energy in your body and that we can use it to create whatever we want. Yes, sometimes it creates a baby. It's one of the most divine things we can do as a human. And sometimes it can create your dreams. And what I want you to do is that the person who's not in the middle, the two people on the side, you're gonna whisper sweet everythings in this person's ear. You, my friends, get to channel. You get to tap into their soul. You get to tap into the most beautiful part of them. You get to whisper into their ear everything that you wish that you had heard, the most beautiful things that you know about this person and you do not have to know them. Right? This is not an intellectual exercise, this is a heart exercise. And for the person in the middle, you're gonna notice that two people are talking to you at the same time. Okay, this is a little trippy. Your brain's gonna wanna try and figure it out. You're gonna wanna be like, no, I'm too old. No, I'm too fat. No, I'm too dumb. You're gonna try and, you're gonna try and argue with the voice of your soul. Don't do that. Okay, allow these whispers to transcend your intellect and to land in your heart. This is like binaural beats, right? Because I have a theory that if you can adopt a negative dialogue from external voices, then you can also adopt a positive dialogue from external voices. And that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna reprogram the buttons in your body so that you believe that you deserve your dreams. There's so much joy and so much love in here right now. It is outstanding. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to go back to that magic wand scenario, to your big audacious dream. It could be a dream that you have for tonight. It could be a dream that you have for this entire festival. It could be a dream that you have for the species or the planet. I do not care how big or small your dream is. What I care is that you learn how to harness the most creative force in your body and use it to fuel your dreams. So it's coming back to this dream, imagining that you could that you could jump timelines, that you could put on a VR headset and jump to the very moment in your future where this dream has already happened. And look around the VR headset, who's with you? What does it look like? What does it sound like at the moment that this dream comes true? And the details only matter to the degree to which they inspire enthusiasm, okay? So you don't have to know who's with you, you don't have to know what it sounds like, but if you could hear that applause in your mind, if you could hear those tears in your mind, if you could enjoy that feeling of gratitude and pride and generosity, just letting those feelings start to saturate and permeate your body right now. Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be here. My background's in mountain guiding, surf rescue, wilderness medicine, and kind of neuroanthropology. I am a member of the hourglass generation. America, demographically, right, is wide, meaning lots of people, that are baby boomers, right? And then it goes narrow for the next generation, Gen Xers. And then it goes wide again for the children of the baby boom, the millennials. What I would propose is that there's been some generational amnesia because for millennials, one of the natural things that any kid does is they heavily discount what their parents did. Couldn't be cool, couldn't be relevant, must be old hat. But you realize, oh fuck, actually there's nothing new under the sun, right? We are just replaying the cultural renaissance of the 60s, but there's so many lessons to be learned. There's so much after action reviewing to be done. And my experience of our contemporary moment is we're not actually doing enough of it. 
we could save ourselves and each other ship piles ahead if we just learned the lessons of the past, right? And think about it. We, they had free love. We have polyamory, right? They had LSD. We had DMT, you know? They had fucking weed. We have much better weed, <laughs> you know? right? <laughs> they had... They had Marxism to take down capitalism. We've got fucking Bitcoin, or at least we had it a few weeks ago. I don't know, I haven't, I haven't checked, right? You can see, right? They had Watergate, we have whatever the fuck is still forever going on. Fauci to fucking Russiagate, right? There's, there's, there's every single parallel. The old joke of like history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, right? It's important for us to know. So on top of that, on the top of gurus and cultic tendencies, on the top of magical thinking, getting unspooled as we stare too long at the burning bush, there's another layer, right? And that layer that is unique to this moment is digital narcissism, right? The capacity for us to get so entranced in our own reflections in the echo chamber of our algorithmically weaponized online avatar selves to reconstitute our egos precisely and especially around those moments that we've just lost them. So this is the thing, right? On the one hand, psychedelic, polyamorous, conchy, transformational festival culture is super fun, feels very democratic, right? And, and we kind of want to just go and explore it all. But I think what's really important to notice is that this is like NC-17, fifth class rock climbing. So the NC-17 part, like, definitely not for kids. And the fifth class rock climbing is, and the falls can kill you. And that doesn't mean we never go into the mountains. They're profound teachers. But it does mean you don't go blundering up there in your flip-flops with your cooler. Right? You apprentice. You learn best practices. You start low, you go slow, you build up. You have safety plans. I mean, for me, I'm like a super like, dumb, literal thinker. Like, if, if it's not something I've experienced in my body, I don't trust it to be true. But the clearest one I can think of is backcountry skiing, right? If you go to a ski area, you're riding the lifts, you got your ticket, you slip slide down the things, there's blues and greens and yellows, you can kind of choose your way, it's all fun. But if you go to those, backcountry access gates, right? Usually at the top, right? And then you go out there, it looks the same, right? It looks this, the white stuff, it's mountains, but it's not the same. It's not patrolled, it's not controlled, it's not bombed, it's not stabilized. And that mountain is just this yawning fucking snowpack just waiting to kill you. Even though what might inspire you to go out there are all those rad Red Bull videos of people snowboarding and powder skiing and floating down the mountain and God's truth Floating down the mountain in three feet of blower is one of the absolute nectar experiences to be had in this motherfucked lifetime. As, as is Tim Leary's you know, wonderful statement of Christ in the curl, right? The surfer is the agent of conscious evolution. His past is behind me. His future is in front of him. Right? And he is standing there in that superposed moment of unfolding perfection. So yeah, music, mountains, mushrooms, and marriage. 
right, are the four M's that at least have made our life go round. But, right, back to the magical thinking, back to, ooh, I don't want to think about the scary stuff, all right? If you're actually, if you're a tourist, you're like, I just wanted to go powder skiing. Why are you talking about all the scary stuff? And it's like, well, because we love this as much or more than you do. So we actually practice all the ways that this can go badly wrong. We have avalanche probes, we have beacons, we can find each other when we get buried. We practice digging each other out so you don't suffocate in an icy tomb. We study every single fatality to learn what did they miss so that our collective body of knowledge can get wiser over time, right? And so it's not the, oh, but I thought that the most beautiful sensation is floating down a mountain. You're right, it absolutely is. It's why we're all here. But can we actually have the humility to apprentice to Kali? So just embracing that and giving ourselves permission just to be a little bit more grown up in our relationship to the mysteries, the gifts they offer us, and the consequences that come with it. Have you read Ben, hey, show of hands if you know Ben Greenfield, fitness, biohacking, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so last week he wrote an extended and lengthy piece um, stepping back from any affiliation or association with psychedelics and, and plant medicines. The first part of Ben's critique is that we're playing with fire and that it's not entirely safe or healthy and we should really give it a second and a third thought. Now, the back half of his explanation, I would say to put it charitably, you have to be of a certain frame to sign off on, which is that it is, it is satanic and prohibited in the Bible, etc., etc. Angels and moths are both drawn to the light. So anytime we're pulling juice, anticipate darkness. Don't be shocked or surprised, and nor necessarily be reactive or afraid. Just understand, it's a part of the mix. And it's on us to differentiate. So the next, so the next one, just one to define some terms, the term reality tunnel. If you're not familiar with it, I mean, certainly Robert Anton Wilson was one of the dudes who riffed on this all the time, but a reality tunnel is just a sort of encapsulated way of seeing the world, right? And so we're in different reality tunnels. If I'm a hedge fund guy on Wall Street, if I'm, you know, if I'm bouncing around Marin or Encinitas, right, I've got different reality tunnels, right? And one of the blessings of this transformational culture that we're all a part of is that it provides, you know, nominal red pill experiences. Right? I get to step out of my socially defined default base reality structure, right? That I need to live a life of suburban conformity, right? And follow the rat race to get the brass ring or whatever, whatever, right? But what I'm noticing is pretty chronic and persistent is that we end up unintentionally just swapping out that old reality tunnel for a newer, different, blinkier, shinier reality tunnel. And that is not the same, friends and neighbors, as liberation. So now I'm in ayahuasca mama goddess. Now I'm in crypto fucking seasteading. Now I'm in, you know, Davos Great Reset New World Order. Now I'm in We're All Galactic Federation and I'm a Pleiadian. Look at my badge. Boo, 
shit to all of it. That is just ensnaring ourselves with ever more subtle braids of steel, right? So if the goal is not to switch my app from my janky old 2007 came with my iPhone, the first one app, right? To my new 2022 Pokemon Go heads up AR, look at all this extra shit. That's not liberation, that's translation versus transformation. Transformation is to make the move of looking at the home screen and selecting from all my apps. And it doesn't mean we don't use them. We can, we can double click on them and we have a task to perform that that app does well. But remember to double click back out. Remember to come back to the home screen. And if you wanna get super ninja, you know, contemplate, and who's holding the phone? So that's the still point. Aub was juggling this morning, right, with clubs, and it was just like, and, and, he, and his eye was right here, right? That's the still point where every single club has to pass, and at its apex, at its apogee, it is weightless and static. You don't try and follow them all. You'll get lost and they'll end on the floor, right? You aim for the still point. So can we remember that? Don't get snookered by reality tunnels. There is something profound and beautiful about embracing our humanity, right? And it's that sense that our humanity lies at the intersection of our mortality and our divinity. It includes the pain it includes the suffering. And once we know that, we're no longer seeking to bypass it. We're no longer seeking to leave it behind. We're no longer seeking to get away from it. We're no longer seeking that as an error in our magical thinking map. We get to say, yes, this too. Alice Walker put it really beautifully. She said, my heart has been broken open so many fucking times, it just swings open wide now like a suitcase. Right, Bob Keegan, Chair of Adult Development at Harvard, he says at some point in our lives, we move from problems we try to solve to problems that solve us. There's this notion of Weltschmerz, and it's a German term, they've got a word for everything, but it's basically world weariness, the cosmic orphan. Like how many of us come into the world from the womb that's perfect and whole and nurturing and then we get spat out into a cold, loud, harsh, unforgiving world? Maybe our family of origin is beautiful and safe and that womb-like feeling continues. Maybe it's not. And we're already like, I don't understand how this world works. Why is there so much suffering? Why are people unkind? Why doesn't this make sense? Why aren't we doing the things coming from love, right? There's all this bafflement. And so what is our natural response? We try and seek the womb again. We seek to spiritually bypass. We seek to dissolve ourselves or annihilate ourselves in bliss, in transcendence. We, we, we scroll our online. We get addicted to porn. We smoke too much weed. We seek psychedelics. We do whatever we're going to do to try and get the hell out of this. But we have an option, right? Which is to become twice born, right? To actually have a death rebirth initiation 
right, which many of us are exploring, right? And the death rebirth, uh, rebirth initiations can come from every, anything from psychedelics to meditation to sexuality to actual physical trauma and near-death experiences. There's a whole host of ways we can get to this, but it's to what Caitlin was saying, right? Dorothy, fuck flat ass, dusty Kansas, I'm out. And she has to go away from her home to then choose it again to realize there is no place like it. Can we come back and step up for ourselves and each other with no need to change a stitch of it and a full embrace for all of it? One of my friends at the house I'm staying at, Mia, she was like, you know, a lot of people are saying we're talking about a more beautiful world, we're talking about Arcadia, but we're just around here talking about it and dancing. Like, when are we going to do something about it? When are we going to make it? Where's the plan? Where's the action? Where's the how-to? We've tried everything possible and none of it has worked. Now let us try the impossible. If we had to have a map to get to the more beautiful world, it would be impossible. When you look at the potency of the forces arrayed against change and the unhealed trauma that all of us carry and the military industrial complex and the financial institutions and the Illuminati and the reptilians and all of the darkness, there is no reasonable, practical plan to get from here to the place that we know is possible. And how do we know that it's possible? Because we've seen it. That's why it is so important to gather here, even if we don't come up with a plan, because we gather here and the collective of the intention of why we came generates a field that brings that future into the present. It creates a portal uh, a stargate and that reality that we see reminds us that we're not crazy and the more we integrate that through the process called gratitude the more alive it is within us and the more it orients us toward the, th the actions and the, the actions we need to do and the plans we need to make I'll tell you three levels of the power of a festival. People need a break from normality. They need a time, and a festival is this time, when the normal rules of society are temporarily suspended. For example, in the Samhain festival, the precursor to Halloween, People for three or four days would just run wild. They would tear gates off their hinges. They would let the cows out of the field. Um, subordinates would curse their superiors and humiliate them. Uh, people would have sexual relations outside the bounds of marriage. Like civilization would disappear for three days. And on some level it was understood that if you tried to maintain society without that pause without that release then the pent-up pressure would eventually create an explosion it would require more and more intense control 
Second level. Everybody knows on some, in some way in the ordinary course of events that we're all playing a role in a drama that isn't fully real. And that's okay. And that doesn't mean that you play it half-heartedly and that you don't step in fully to the drama of life and to the role that has been assigned to you for the fulfillment of your soul's purpose and your growth into that. There's nothing wrong with a drama but sometimes if, you're not, if you don't step out of that drama and don't step out of who I am in, the, in my reinforcing circumstances, then you get lost in it and confined in it. And sometimes you need to step out of that and try on somebody else. I'm going to introduce you in a few minutes to an unintegrated part of my own psyche. The third thing, though, is the most important right now. Beyond a break from normality that connects us with a truth beyond that, beyond the personas and the personalities and the roles, that connection to truth is important. It keeps us sane. But we're doing something else here. We're not just temporarily experiencing a bigger reality, but we're also anchoring that reality into the world outside of it. Earlier on in Robert's speech, he mentioned this idea that somebody's always doing something to us. That's kind of how it is in Newtonian physics, where the world consists of a bunch of forces operating deterministically on a bunch of masses, a bunch of generic particles. So actually in that universe, in that reality, indeed, everything is happening to you. And the only way that you can create a bubble of safety, a bubble of security and power around yourself is to be able to exert more force than the forces that are bearing down upon you. When, and so that whole cosmology is not just an intellectual idea, it is a state of being. We call it victim mentality. It's not some psychological error that you made that immersed you in victim mentality. That is actually the transition that we are into right now. That, that it's, it's a, it covers every level from the inner level to the cosmological level. And, and I'm not gonna tell you that that story, that story of how the universe works and who you are is false. I'm not gonna tell you that it's false. Within its own terms, it is the truth. It is real, it is consuming. And we as a civilization have expanded and grown in the bubble of that reality to its bursting point. That is why the birth, the birth to its birthing point. Did I say bursting point? I meant birthing point. <laughs> That's what's happening today. And in that 
journey, as the womb becomes confining, it may seem that there's no way out as the pressure of the contractions gets more and more intense. Until at one moment, the cervix opens and the contractions intensify even more. But now you have seen the light at the end of the tunnel and you know that there is another world shining through. <clears throat> so with that, I would like to introduce you to my, well, it's an unintegrated or not fully integrated <clears throat> aspect of myself that some of you, some of you may have met uh, yesterday. Yeah, his name is Dudley, but I will allow him to introduce himself. Hello. My name is Dudley. I prefer Sir Dudley. Sir Dudley of the Galactic Federation. Sir Dudley does not care what people think. Because those are governing valves on his power. And it's time to level up. I think gods are real, but lowercase g gods. I think that there's a thing that you can't give a word to and anyone that tries to give a word to it that thinks that they're talking about capital G, they're talking about lowercase g's. We're familiar with things like Zeus and Odin and Thor, Yahweh, Allah, but we also don't recognize that some of the gods of our times are capitalism, communism, libertarianism, conservatism, liberalism. If it has an ism, I see it as one of these lowercase g gods. I see that these gods, they live in, uh, the German word for it is the zeitgeist. And the zeitgeist is the spirit of the times. Another way to think about it is the word culture. I see there's almost like two landscapes. There's the biological landscape. There's also this imaginal landscape, this cultural landscape. And the flora and the fauna and the organisms that evolve in that cultural landscape are ideas. And just like organisms compete in the physical environment and they evolve, they try to get resources, claim territory. I think ideas do that too. And the territory is your prefrontal cortex. Humans, minds, are the environment that these organisms compete for. And I don't see them as aliens or ghosts or any of that thing. I see them as a natural byproduct of acquiring language and symbol making. In the same way that the mystery at the core of religions are unspeakable, but then people who don't want to contend with the mystery create belief systems which are not the same as religions. Belief systems are these static, finite structures to try to keep out the mystery. 
And that's actually one of the many ways that we try to make meaning out of things that we don't understand, because I don't know why it's doing that. These gods compete. Really what they want to do is they want to evolve, just like any organism wants to. But because the property that they compete for is ours, is us and our nervous system and our minds, they have to deal with our evolved emotions. And our evolved emotions when we are afraid or when we are triggered is we default to fighting and war. We have now entered into an age where we have acquired the tools to end all games for gods and humans to evolve. Now that we have nuclear warheads, now that we have the tools of extraction to cause ecological collapse, now that we have governments competing to try to acquire weaponized artificial intelligence systems to use drones, and that we also have governments competing for trying to use gene editing software to be able to make bioweapons. These are the four major tools that the competition between gods as they live inside of the prefrontal cortex of humans. We've gotten to a point where if we keep choosing conflict, when two gods rub up against each other, we might end the whole game that humans have been trying to play. Who here has seen The Biggest Little Farm? I think The Biggest Little Farm is the most potent mythopoetic metaphor for how to integrate gods. They buy a piece of land and the soil is ruined and nothing is growing there. The default expectation for what to do with that land is to monocrop the fuck out of it, put up your walls, buy your fertilizer, just extract and exploit and try to produce as much as you possibly can and then sell it to the masses. But because they had access to a uh, crazy wisdom mentor, this mentor taught them how to revitalize this land. And the first thing that they had to do was they had to heal the soil by putting shit and piss back into it. And then once they started to get the soil going, they were able to bring in the first wave of plants and animals. And once they started to set, predators came in, either fungi or insect or animal predators. And their first response to those incoming predators was to try to do something to kill them or to remove them. But what their mentor taught them is now that you've created level one, you start to bring in more diversity. And then instead of attacking, you add something intelligently that starts to create a new equilibrium with the new thing that you just brought in. And it's a thriving ecosystem that moves from something that needs to be stewarded by humans to eventually getting to a place where it's doing its own infinite game. Most people we know who identify with an ism are monocropping their inner landscape. The place 
Where our gods are competing most often right now are on social medias. And how we use our social media is literally how we're in real time gardening our inner garden where all of the gods are living and trying to find their place. And Steel Manning slash the principle of charity is to assume the person who I do not agree with, the person who I'm having this debate or this argument with, they're fundamentally a good person. And from a regenerative inner God-tending landscape, that would be you actually allow that organism into your garden. And heart manning is where you steal man to the depth where you're able to connect to what what is the grief in the other person that they are defending with their gods and their stories and not as a tool to use to manipulate them but to be in it with them because fundamentally what I feel is at the core of most of our disagreements is we have grief that has not been witnessed by the people closest to us that if it was witnessed by them we would all be closer together I've been trying to contend with the feeling that we're in a cultural war. And I told you I don't like the war metaphor, but it also feels naive not to use it if it's the one that best applies to what's happening. And I have this vision of this like huge titan, like the father of the gods. And it's like his body is the is the whole landscape of the continent. And there's like a broken down castle in his ribs. And that's where all of his sons and daughters, the gods of our time, are gathered around a table. And they're all fighting with each other about who father was worse to. Every, every one of us, when we think about this Titan, somewhere in our history, we were one of the tribes that this Titan conquered. And I think that the only way that we're going to figure out what to do with the body and the landscape and the good ideas that this Titan is leaving behind is someone is going to have to step to the table and help people begin to process and share their grief. And so my invitation to all of you is to Play the game of trying to tend to the inner garden in your heart and to allow new gods in and see what type of beautiful landscape that you can make through steel manning and heart manning. And please, to take responsible that your speech, your conversations, your communication, everything you write and repost and share online is contributing to the soil of the zeitgeist. Garden your inner zeitgeist. Thank you. My name is Caitlin Howe. I'm one of the founding coaches of Fit for Service. I've been here since day one. 
For me, I want to talk about magic and mystery and synchronicity. And these are things that are impossible to explain or describe. And so I started thinking about the allegory of the Wizard of Oz and the story of Dorothy and what that means for me. And for me, really, um, Glinda's the, the daemon. She's the goddess mother who goes to the, the young woman who looks above the rainbow and says, there's got to be something better out there, up there, something more for me than this confining life. And with that wish, with that desire, the tornado strikes and she gets sent off into chaos and peril. And she is governed and guided and protected by this guiding force, this goddess mother who reminds her, just follow the yellow brick road. That's how you get home. The yellow brick road for me is synchronicity. It's those moments of magic that defy all logic, that defy any rational explanation, but they also feel familiar. It's like, ah, oh, wait, no, I recognize that. What does that mean for me? And we take that moment of wonder if we don't gaslight ourselves and say, well, it's just a coincidence. There's a reason, I can think of all the reasons why that could have happened, it's not magic. And we discard it. That's one brick, one brick we could be laying on our path if we just claim it and say, I do have a relationship with something beyond what I can understand and I want to follow it. And so I, I really learned to start following the synchronicities in my life as communication from something bigger than me. And the beauty of the, the allegory, the myth of Dorothy and, and the Wizard of Oz, the Land of Oz, is that she wishes to be in heaven up there, beyond the rainbow. And the journey brings her back home. And what I see here is so many of us in the peril of the challenge and the pain and the confusion of being alive, especially at this time. Well, at least that's our story, right? Maybe it's, it's probably always been really hard to be alive. <laughs> it's also always been really wonderful. And when we put heaven out there and we say Eden's gone and we sinned and we can't go back and it can't be revived, we're just shutting our eyes to the magic that is all around us. And it's that force within us that we externalize as Glinda or the synchronicities or the magic out there. It is the same magic that's looking for the magic. Glinda is inside of Dorothy. And heaven is right here. What we have to do, what we have to do is we have to learn for ourselves to reclaim through radical trust and wild gratitude that we are meant to be here in perfection, that we have chosen to be here through desire, a great wild desire that has manifested all life to revive simply through our realization and appreciation of what we have to revive what is here. And it starts individually, because if we can't reclaim and exalt what we are 
as the divine thing that we are pointing to, then we cannot do that for the world. And Dorothy's journey home was a journey back to herself. And I hope, I hope this can be a starting point on your yellow brick road back home to you and back home to the paradise that we live in together through this relationship to magic and wonder and trust and gratitude. And, you know, three of these magical tools that Dorothy claimed on her journey, sacred mind, a mind beyond fear, the brain, if I only had a brain, we have it, we all have a brain, we are all vastly intelligent. And fear gets in the way of the intelligence that wants to guide us. The sacred mind, the heart, the tin man's heart, coming back home to the heart, seeing the eyes, seeing the world through the eyes of the heart, through wonder. It's the heart in me that saw the rainbow and stopped what I was doing and said, it means something. This is not an accident. It's not a mistake. I'm not going to gaslight this moment of magic and this relationship I'm experiencing right now with the divine. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and notice it and smile at it and say thank you and let it matter and let it mean something and weave that in. And that's what I do with my yellow brick road is I take these moments of promise that come from the mystery and I bring them into the 3D and I trust that it matters, that it is a big deal, that to manifest and live with the magic that I co-create with the divine and weave it into the material world, into the physical world, into my relationships, into my rituals, that it actually matters. Because we get lost in this sense of smallness, in this overwhelm of, of the vastness of the world and the cosmos and the population and the problems that we, that we all hold together. And we think, I can't make a difference and my magic doesn't matter. But what would happen if everybody changed that story? It takes trust in the unseen to make miracles happen. They wouldn't be miracles if we expected it. They wouldn't be miracles if we could see it and explain it and rationalize it. We have to have the wild trust at this point to make possible what's looming in potentiality, waiting for us to just dare to believe and to show that divine force that surrounds us and wraps us in her arms at all times, that I see you and mama, I am grateful that you continue to hold me. Mama, 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 everywhere, mama in each other. If we dare to love it, if we dare to exalt it again, I'd like to see what, what that looks like. I'd like to see what could happen. Sonic boom of love from this point with each one of us trusting in our magic and trusting and being that, that permission slip that shines out the love that says, I see your magic too, even if you do not see it. I will see it in you. I will not lose faith. And that gratitude, that 
the appreciation, gratitude sometimes it can feel like, okay, I've got to sit and I've got to pray and I've got to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. The thank you starts here. It can sit here all the time without words. It is a felt experience. You don't have to do it right. You just have to be wholehearted in your appreciation for the love that surrounds you and shine that out. Unashamed, undoubtful in the power of it to make tremendous change. These novel moments of giving gratitude where it is never given, where judgment, condemnation, rejection, disgust, where these frequencies are typically carried, this is the most novel, revolutionary, tiny little thing that we can do to shift the frequency of our relationship to the world. And when we do it, we get God to notice. God notices. This is what happens when we experience a synchronicity. God is getting us to notice. And I had the thought, well, God doesn't need to notice. And it, it, the feeling was God's busy. And when you do, when you do something novel and, and loving like this, you get God to notice. And I, said, I thought, well, God isn't busy, it's God. And then I realized, oh yes, God is busy. We are God. We're spending all of this time on our cell phones, saying, I'm so busy, I can't wait to slow down. Next week, it'll slow down. I'll get to that thing I really want to do soon, but I'm just so busy right now. So God is busy. And we are all God in this world being busy and we need disruptive love to get the God in humanity to notice the love that is here, the magic that is here, the beauty that is here. Chad Johnson has become a dear friend and a mentor to me. He was an understudy of Sepp Holzer. Many of you have heard of him. He's, he's on the Mount Rushmore of regenerative agriculture. And uh, we started working on this farm down in Lockhart, Texas that Aubrey had bought. I was in his year for pretty much the last two years. So being a dad and a provider and a protector, uh, all the signals went off. We need land now. We need our own food sovereignty. We want a food forest. We want all the animals. We want a whole ecosystem living in our backyard. And we also want a place where we can bring people to go through these amazing challenges and unique transformational practices that help us grow and become fit for service. But this ties us back to our ancient mythic roots. And what is possible is usually greater than what people can imagine. Um, and to work with nature, you'll get the response. So we're in communion all the time. All of this, all of you from that source, is here, whether you're in your car or you're driving through it. But when you go back to nature as the source, as in the garden or in a farm or however you want to define that, there's where you can start to get a greater response. But also when we're creating these landscapes, we're not using a spade. We're using heavy equipment to set up what took ancient cultures, generations and generations. So we hold the water, the life, 
the blood of the earth, and that is our abundance. And we're using the four elements, so water, earth, wind, fire, and you're combining those into a greater system than even the surrounding nature, because this is a gift. And so when we use this gift, it gives back to us. And that's how this all started, ancient cultures coming to where we're at. And a lot of this is a complete mystery to us. I really started thinking about that contribution. You know, what happens when I heal the land? Does the land now contain the ability to heal myself and heal others? Is it improved? If I, if I put that deposit back into nature, how does nature respond? And the beautiful thing is nature responds 10x. It comes back so fast and it's so abundant because what you're giving back to is the great mother. It's, it's the first biggest thing we have next to us. We're of the earth. So when we, when we donate to the earth, the return on investment is astronomically bigger. It's exponentially bigger. What we wanted to do was work the entire property, 118 acres, heal the entire property, but farm on nine acres of it because plenty of people have access to 10 acres or five acres. So on a scale where you can see what we can do with such a small piece of land, what are the animals we bring in? What is the ecosystem that we create? Sep taught me a way of dreaming, dreaming with the land. Um, what you're doing is you're listening and you're reading and you're working with the land. And what we're doing is feeding these beings. Um, and once you start, it has a certain momentum. But our culture, someone has said, is kind of like grass. So you look at the grass, there's a deeper mat. So to go through that can become a brutal affair. And to open that up allows you to reach deeper into the dark earth to reach those nutrients or possibilities deeper down. You can bring this back out into the world and you can bring it to the people you love and you can bring it into nature. Um, and it will give you back more than you put in. Our gardens or farm has no fence, no tractor. Uh, there's no composting or irrigation system. So depending on how you want to do it, uh, there's many ways you can start. And so we have deer, bears, wolves coming through it, and we design it to steer them, but also they've all moved in. So maybe we have 20 groundhogs that now have created little holes and terraces on there, and they'll be touching right next to our ducks, or same with the painted turtle. But there's also uh, the predators. So you have the weasel right there, but he has plenty. Uh, so it's never touched our ducks or chickens, which go all over and tend the gardens. And he's got his abode right there with us, so. Stories are important. The story that you tell the body actually becomes manifest and true. There was a study done in France where they had people imagining lifting heavy curls with dumbbells and their biceps got stronger because they imagined it. 300 clinically cited citations of the placebo effect, which is the mind influencing matter, thought influencing the body. The mind connected to the body, connected to the spirit, connected to each other. I feel like the value of a festival for 
human beings is you get permission as soon as you walk into the gates to play, to connect with people you don't know, and to be a version of yourself that you don't often allow yourself to express as. There's sort of a no holds barred, here's your playground, go enjoy yourself, have an adventure, see who you become when you give yourself this freedom. It's a experimental playground that adults don't get to have often enough. We are really confined into our roles and our habits and our identities in this way that gets to kind of evaporate in a festival. People don't realize that community and to lose yourself temporarily in community is a human need. You know, I think like 99% of people are deficient in community and that there's something specific about the healing effect that can happen when your default mode network, which is the part of you that tells the story of who you are, is absorbed into the mind of the group. Festivals allow you to step out of the individual separate self-consciousness and step into a we consciousness. You actually merge with the crowd, you merge with the music, and then your body starts dancing in accord with the rhythms and frequencies of what you're experiencing. So it allows you to have a lived experience of transcending the I as separate self and stepping into the we. So from ego to we go. Arcadia takes a lot of the best of a traditional festival, like the great music, the lights, the sound, the crowd, the sense of wonder and awe that you see at a lot of the festivals. And it just weaves in an ethos that's inspiring, a shared pathos, a shared feeling, a shared logos, a shared purpose, a shared story. And so it weaves all of those things into everything that you already love about a festival and adds the inspiration of speakers who know how to actually move the crowd with their words, just like musicians know how to move the crowd with their sounds. The universe itself is mind, and if the universe itself is mind, and the mind always thinks in stories, then stories are a first principle of the universe, and stories fucking matter. So this story, this story matters. This story matters, and this story is a story of a more beautiful world. A more beautiful world. And we get to live it. We get to step inside this story. This is the invitation to step inside this story of Arcadia. But this is the Genesis story. This is where it starts. And we are all holding a piece of the pen how do we want to write Arcadia? It's up to us. Carve that new storyline into your mind, into your heart, into your soul. And that's the spirit of what Arcadia is about. It's about freedom. Freedom from the conditioned patterns, those deep grooves of the mogul run where everybody's made the same turn over and over again and all of a sudden there's big bumps and you know exactly which way you gotta go like a toboggan, no. Fresh powder, a new story, inviting you in to a whole new story. And that's freedom. The freedom is when you pick up the pen and say, I don't care what everybody else has written, I don't care what I've written in the past, I'm going to write my story fresh, write my story new. 
And that's what we get to do here. You don't have to be the person that arrived here. You can if you want, but you choose. You choose. What do you want to express? Who do you want to be? How do you want to celebrate Arcadia and anchor this new story, like make it real because each one of you adds your pen stroke, making it thicker and darker and truer with every dance move you make, every compliment you give, every hug, everything you do. You can make this a new story. We all can. And this new story can become so alluring that it can draw in anybody else from a different story and they say, wow, that story looks good. Damn, I want some of that story. So they jump in, rapture, jump in. This freedom that I'm talking about, the word free comes from the Indo-European word frey, which is to love. Dom, house, domicile, house. Freedom is the house of love that we keep inside. Because everything else is a constriction. All of our fear, all of these stories, that's a constriction on our ability to love. And to love is to sing our song. To sing our unique song to the world, and we get to do that this weekend together. We may not get to the promised land ourselves, but we keep on walking in the conviction that our children or their children might. The question's not having hope, it's being hope. Both heaven and the future are waiting to see what we do next. This is the story of how we begin to remember. This is how we dance each other home. If you're interested, tickets are going extremely fast. Go to fitforservice.com slash Arcadia and check it out. So once again, fitforservice.com slash Arcadia. I can't wait to see you guys there.